For our scripture reading today, let us turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 37. And the words of Jesus calling anyone and everyone to follow him in order to find life. Jesus began to teach his followers that he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said this plainly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking the way God thinks, but the way the world thinks. Then Jesus called the entire crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his life? Or what can anyone give in exchange for his life? With this in mind, how do we, who follow Jesus, think the way God thinks in our divided and broken world? Listen to the Apostle Paul's word, words recorded in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, 14 through 15. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This second Sunday of Advent, I'm, I'm reminding you, this year at Lake Avenue Church, we are focusing on reconciliation. You know, that beautiful message of the Bible, that I, the God who made the world knows that there's so much in the world he made that's broken, but that God loves to take those broken things and is finding ways to take those broken things and people in his creation and heal them, restore them. Or if you put it, put it even more strongly, there are things that are hostile because of sin toward God and actually people toward one another. And God seems to be on a mission to make peace. That's, that's what we think of as reconciliation. Now today, that last phrase that Kelly read from Romans 12:15 is one I want to highlight. There is a quality or a way of life that I think is necessary for all of us if actually we're going to find reconciliation and be God's agents of peace. And it's in that phrase that we have to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think that the ability to do this is one of the things that will set aside the genuine follower of Jesus, I mean, as we're taking on his ways, from those who just sort of play at church. 
Because it's the very thing that Jesus did, and it's not easy to do that. So last week I talked about him doing that. He, he entered in. Remember I pointed that out. That's one of the things that Jesus did. He enters into the brokenness of this world because I don't think that things can be brought together unless we're willing to go into those places where there's brokenness and, and enter in and do what he did. He mourned when people were mourning. He, he rejoiced. He felt what they felt. He rejoiced when they came to find hope in him. And actually that's what the Christmas message is about, isn't it? That Jesus came to this world. So I'm going to give you my favorite Bible verses, my eighth Christmas here. <laughs> Every year I do the same Bible verses sometimes, and sometimes more than once. Uh, John 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have Everlasting life, eternal life will have the life of God. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. He sent his one and only son into this world to rescue the world through him. So, so Jesus came. He came into this world of sin and brokenness and, and experienced the devastation of it himself personally and, and defeated it. Not only did he come into this world in general, but he entered into individual lives like yours and mine and in, into some of the most broken lives of all. We see him doing it over and over and over again. Last week I just showed you one of them. Found in Mark seven twenty-four to 30. The woman who probably in his society would have been the one he should have stayed away from the most. A Gentile woman from the enemy people of, of Tyre from a demonized home. Jesus didn't do what most people do. He went right into her life. He listened, he interacted, and then he set her free. Uh, he, he has to be able to enter in and hear and feel and be with, and the same thing is true of us. So entering in becomes a necessity. Now, when we enter in and we establish relationship and, and, and some trust, then what Jesus would always do is, then comes the call that we see today. Kelly read it for us. The call to find our lives through changing, through what he can do. And, and I've divided this message into two, so you have to come back next week. Where it starts is in the way we think about everything in this world. Now, to get you into this, I want to take you back. And I don't know if you noticed that as Kelly was reading, it's in verse 33. One of the most shocking statements that Jesus makes in the entire New Testament. He turns to a person, and it was even the Apostle Peter and he says this, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. How would you like Jesus to say that to you? Now, when we see this sort of thing, we've got to ask, what was Peter doing that's like Satan? And here, here it is. For Peter, you are not thinking the way God thinks, but the way the world thinks. So we, we have to figure out how does God think, how does the world think. And one of the things that becomes clear from Jesus and from all the New Testament is that if we're going to have changed lives, that we're not just a part of the brokenness and, and a part of the difficulty, we, have to, we can't continue living the way we lived before, right? And we even can't look at people the way we did before. So it always begins in our thinking. It begins in our minds. You know how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed 
Where does it start? By the... Oh, I knew the 11 o'clockers would know that. Uh, renewing of your mind. It starts their transformation of your life. And what, what you do in this world will happen in the way that you think. So let's see how it plays out in Mark chapter 8. Up until Mark chapter 8, uh, Jesus has been doing amazing things. Uh, rapid fire. He does what only God can do. He, he still storms. He heals the sick. Forgives sins. He even raises the dead. It, it's amazing. Just read it through and you'll see it. And then we saw last week this powerful, majestic Jesus comes and with compassion. He has a heart. He has a heart. Comes and with compassion enters into individual lives. What, what a person. So that brings us to chapter 8, verse 27, when at last Jesus says, Now, having seen all of this, what are people saying about me? Who do people say I am? Now, many of us here are teachers. You know, I've been a teacher a lot in my life. Have you ever had a really energetic class where you ask a question like that? And you have some, I know, I know. <laughs> That's how I read this story. I know, Jesus, some of the people are saying that you're a prophet. Oh, no, no, no. Somebody says it's better than that, Jesus. Some people think you're John the Baptist, who had just been killed. Come back from the dead. No, no, it's even bigger than that, somebody said. Some are saying that you're the great prophet. You are Elijah who's supposed to come back. At least this, Jesus, everybody's saying great stuff about you. And then he comes at that very personal question that he always asks, and he asks of you too. And he says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter turns to him and says, You are the Messiah. The one come to set us free. And Matthew tells us that Jesus said to him, Peter, flesh and blood, human beings didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. So here you see they're beginning to see a little bit of who Jesus is. And at that point, Jesus says, now knowing that, let me tell you something. I have come to set people free, but when, for me to set people free, I have to enter in to all of this evil and brokenness of this world. So this is going to happen to me. I have to tell you this. I have come, and in coming to do my work, I am going to suffer. You can read it. I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. Though after three days I'm going to rise again. It helps us to know that when you and I enter into some of that pain of brokenness, th this is what happens, isn't it? Sometimes it's very hard to be that peacemaker. It's going to happen. Now, Peter and the others were still, even though Peter had seen something that was right, they were still not thinking the way that God thinks. So Peter pulls Jesus to the side. And he, and he the Bible tells us, rebukes Jesus kind of basically says something like this. He said, well, Jesus, we really like a lot of the stuff that you were doing. It's, it's really great. But I, we don't think you're thinking right about some things. Well, let me, let me set you straight. Uh, Jesus, um, this dying stuff isn't going to get you anywhere. So let me tell you how you're going to make a difference in this world and set people free. You have power. We've seen it. You've got to take the reins of leadership and throw these other people out. And by the way, you need to put us in into the positions of power and prestige and privilege. Read chapters 9 and 10 and you'll see that's what they wanted. You've got to put us in and then great things are going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
That if you think like that, if my followers live like that, that selfish way of thinking, it's just going to cause further divisions. Reconciliation can never happen. You have to think the things of God, not the things of human beings. Is this clear so far? So we've got to ask the question, how does God think? How does Jesus think? So I've tried to summarize it for you up here. He goes on to tell us. The way that Jesus thinks about life is this. The way for you to find your life is to give up your life. This, this is the message of Jesus to us all. It was the message to Matt and Grace. It's Grace, the message to you and me. If you, if you give up your life to him, you really find your life. Anybody believe that? So let's see, let's see how he puts it here. He turns to them and he says, if anyone would come after me, you're going to find life. I'll tell you how to find life. If, put the phrase up there, if anyone comes after me. So I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, who's in the anyone? All right. Uh, when, when you read through uh, the life of Jesus, I've asked you to do this so many times. Who are in the anyones that Jesus kept welcoming in? I mean, who are in his anyones? Uh, and, and there are all these stories of, of the anyones for Jesus. On one side, it was a tax collector, a part of the system, and, and, but also a synagogue ruler. Isn't that beautiful? That, that, that broad. Uh, also, uh, in his anyone was a woman who had been caught trapped in prostitution. There was a man who was filled with leprosy. There was a Roman military man. See, all, the, all these people were in Jesus' anyone's. And one of the things I've wondered about, I've been in church so much of my life, sometimes in our churches and in our religious places, don't you think that sometimes uh, we don't want some of those anyone's who are in Jesus' anyone's in our anyone's who, who is in the anyone's in our day today? Let me just ask you, um, on the two sides of our political divide, red and blue, are there any ones on both sides? Oh, didn't get too many amens there. If they are, if we are, how is heaven going to be heaven? The political ads will have to change. Uh, what about those who don't have the right documentation status in our neighborhood? I'm meddling now, right? What about those who come to church who have a criminal record? Is that in anyone? All right, I'm going to more controversial. What about those who have different sexual preference? Is that in anyone? What about those who come with deep addictive behaviors? No, you've got to hear me. I, I feel the silence. Our society rightly applauds this part of what Jesus does. This readiness of Jesus to step in and treat with respect and welcome anyone is applauded by 21st century America. And I think rightly so. It's one of the beautiful parts of Jesus. It's what draws children to Jesus. There is hope for us all. Now, the part that our society hates about what Jesus did, and his disciples hated it too, is that when he steps into our lives... He calls us to change our lives. He says the way that you are living in this world right now is what's led to all of this brokenness and division. And you can only find life if you will deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me. 
And, and in our world where people say, well, I, I, I can't do that. If I've, I've got to be able to have pleasure the way I want to have pleasure. That's the way I'm made. I've got to... And Jesus says, you've got to follow me. Wherever I call you to go, whatever I call you to do, whatever you have or don't have, if you have me, you have life. Be willing to give up your life to find life. That's how Jesus thinks. Now let's put that in juxtaposition to how the world thinks about life. And, and I've tried to write it down. I want you to look at this and see if you think I'm right about this. I think most people in our world, and, and it just comes into our own way of thinking. I find it myself too. I think most of us think that if I can have my deepest desires, whatever they may be, I'm going to find life. Don't you think that's the way most of us think? Oh, there's something I've got to have, my deepest desire. If I had that, then I'll find life. So I've been asking all week, the thing I often do, so you need to stay away from me when I'm preparing a sermon. Um, I've been asking all week, where do you think most people think they're going to find life, find happiness? And I've gotten all sort of responses. I had a young wife who said to me, well, I used to say that what I have to, to, be, to do to be happy is to get married. Now, now that I'm married, I, I'm saying I need children too. <laughs> Well, anyway, a college student, a group of college students uh, said to me, well, we think we need, uh, they're seniors, we need to find a good job and to be successful at those jobs. An empty nester said, and I resonated with this one, I think I need to be near my grandchildren when I retire. You see, Gil and Carrie, you, you feel that, right? So many people, and I think this is so true of Southern California, it has to do with physical wholeness. If, if I can look young, if I look good, if I can feel good and be fit, and even as we get older, if I have my health, that's really the important thing. It seems like that's a part of our society. In our own community, too, because we have so many people who come here from other countries, often when you come, you want to live out your life through your children, and you think, if only my children can be successful. And so if, if they can end up going to Princeton or Harvard or Stanford or Caltech and they can end up being a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer, then, then all of us will be happy. See, I'm just really meddling this week. Most people talk to me about having certain achievements. I'll be happy if I can achieve this in my profession or in academics or in music or in athletics. Don't we think that way? Now, now, the thing I want you to notice about all those things, I had many more, all of those things, I wonder what you would have said. The thing you notice about all those things that people said to me is that they're all good things. Nobody told their pastor if I had these bad things could give in to my... But that's because I'm the pastor and people don't say that to the pastor. So some of us want bad things and think I've got to keep that. I will not give up that thing in order to have life. Here's the point I want you to make. I want to make to you um, all those things uh, could be things you never have and you could still have a life. And on the other side, you could have all those things and not find your life at all. And that's what Jesus says. Those things are not the things that give you your life. They're gifts from God that bring you joy. They cannot be the center of your life. These things become the deepest longings of people. There's a biblical word for it. I've put it here so you can look at it. It's a Greek word that you can learn and take home with you. It's epithumia. Epithumia. And the word in the, in the New Testament used a number of times is for our deepest desires. Those things we long for. A pastor, Tim Keller, in Manhattan, he translates that over desires. 
So desires for so many of the good things are not bad. It is not bad to hope that your children will succeed. It is not bad to want to have a home. It is not bad to want to be successful in your career. All those things. But over desires, if they are put into the place where you say, I must have that. When it becomes a necessity. When it becomes the ultimate thing. I must have that. And if I don't have that, I'm not going to be happy. That thing has taken the place of God. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something wonderful about all of us here. The reason why Jesus enters in is because human beings, wherever we are in our brokenness, we are made in the image of God. And that means so many things. But one of the things I'm sure that it means is that you and I have been made to have God at the center of our being. Genesis 2. Everything was right when God was walking and talking with people. There is a place, and and the Old Testament puts it, you and I are made with eternity in our hearts. There is a a place in you and me that only God can fill. Nothing else can fill it. If we try to put anything else into that place, it, it will always let us down. You'll get that life partner, you think it's a perfect life partner, and then you'll find out he or she is not all that perfect. You'll get that job you wanted to have. That's it. That's what I have to have. And then it wasn't all that great. Or you get retired. You get that possession that you think that's what it's all about. And then it's taken away. A storm comes. A fire comes. You live your life through your children and then they reject you or they die. See, we're made for something that cannot be taken away from us. And, and Jesus essentially says to us, listen... Um, that's not where you're going to find your life. So where do we find our lives? You've seen the different ways. Jesus says you have to uh, be willing to give up your life. And the world keeps saying, no, but I've got to have that. I've got to have that. And so you come to church. And let me tell you what Jesus says. Uh, the, way, uh, the, the way to find life is being willing to surrender it to me. I want to talk to you about the life we find when we follow Jesus. Uh, verse 35. Whoever holds on to his life, will lose it. See what he's talking about there? If you hold on to those things, you say, I've got to have that. That's my life. You're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, for me and for the gospel, because I call you to, will save his life. Look at that for a minute. Do you see that Jesus is using life in these two ways? The way you think he's going to find it, the way that God says you're going to find it. Which way are you going to think about this? The word that Jesus uses for life is psuche. It's the word that we get psychology from. It has to do with what is at the core of your being. Jesus is talking about what is at the very heart of your identity. And he's just telling you that that your real life, I mean what you've been made for and who you are and what you should be doing, you're not going to find it in any of those things. Why do we keep trying to find life in temporary things? We know it doesn't find, it's not found there. Jesus says, you know it's true. Acknowledge it. Now, where are you going to find it? Find it in me. Now, just to make this clear, those other things where we often try to find life in them, they're often really good things that are a part of God's creation. They're meant for us to enjoy. But they're to be second things, not first things. If those second things are made first things, they will let us down every time. Make your husband or wife the first thing, and that person will fail. They can't live up to it. Your children can't live up to it. I can't live up to it. God lives up to it. Uh, The George MacDonald quote, I've used it in every wedding I've done for probably 30 years now. 
George MacDonald, the Scottish author, he said, when first things are put first, second things are not diminished. They are enhanced. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. So what Jesus is saying to Peter when he says, listen, get behind me, Satan, is the way the world thinks that you're going to find your life by having more power, more prestige, more pleasure, the kind of pleasure you long to have, is not going to work. It'll just make you selfish and it will further divide this world. I have come to bring freedom from that and to reconcile those things that are broken. And he says, now then follow me. You must deny yourself. And by self it means those things you think, I've got to have that. I may call you away from that. And, and, and you've got to say it's yours. I'll find my life not in that but in you. Take up a cross. When Jesus carried the cross toward his crucifixion, it looked like it was a, a, a life with no future. And sometimes when people say, I'm going to follow Jesus and do what he wants me to do, sometimes even your family will say, there's no future in that. I wanted you to be something else. And following Jesus, Jesus says that you're going to be scoffed at and scorned and sometimes it's going to be really, really hard. But listen, it's not going to end that way because my cross is not going to end at the cross. There is a resurrection afterwards. Do you believe him? Because what this calls for is faith. Uh, the, the message I'm preaching, it calls us to really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. The one who is the Son of God, who loves you and me so much that he'll enter into our lives and, and set us free and cleanse us from the all of that sin that is there and begin to remake us. Do you believe he is that? Then when we follow him, we know that he didn't come to ruin our lives. Jesus says all those things, your epithumia, they promise so much, John 10, but they will only kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And have it to the full. We find our lives by giving our lives to Him. That's a different way of thinking about life. Do you think so? So let me say this. It is our privilege to be those who have heard the gospel. And so many of us have received Jesus into our lives. And are knowing He's beginning to do that work in us. I pray you are. And if you aren't, let me just tell you. This is real. God is real. Uh, you can know Him as your Father. Life begins when you actually say, Okay, here is my sin. You want it? And He says, Yes. And I'll throw it as far as this is from the West. Here is my life. Do you want it? He says, Yes. And look at what I will do in and through you. And then a part of what He does in and through you and me is He sends us out to make a difference in the lives of others. And we enter into other people's lives. And where the rest of the world is broken, we're going to continue to love people. Our privilege and our calling is to be able to be people who go out and make peace instead of just creating disturbance. We make peace as Jesus made peace because we are to live as he did. Do you remember what Jesus said? As the Father sent me, so send I you. And as he comes in and enters into lives and he mourns with people who mourn and doesn't reject people because even if they have gotten themselves into that mess and offers a new life, that's what you and I have to do. And sometimes it's really hard. Ever since I preached last week's message, I've had so many of you talk to me about this or write to me about this and tell me about how difficult the brokenness is in your relationships and in your families and in marriages. And I've agonized with you because I too know how hard that is. Uh, listen to me. I'm, 
Your pastor's family is not a perfect family. We have the same kind of brokenness that others do as well. And yet I know as a child of God, I have the spirit of God. And that he sends me into those places at least to take a step toward reconciliation. What do I mean by a step? Sometimes really a little step. It might be just somebody you haven't talked with for a long time and you don't even want to, but you say, oh, I see it. Uh, Make a call. Write a card. Send an email. And maybe it'll be something as small as, uh, well, you haven't smiled at that person in years. Just smile so that they can see that, that, that you know they're a human being. I honestly believe that those small steps are the first steps that are often then blown and empowered by God's Spirit because God loves to see broken things come together. I think this whole way of thinking also is important for the big issues of brokenness in our culture and society. I'll talk about this next week, so you've got to come back next week. But when I, when I look at what's happened in Cleveland with a 12-year-old boy being shot, and I look at New York and, and a man being choked and, and dying, and I looked at, at Ferguson, and then I, I go online and I read what people write about this. It is just amazing how broken we are and how, how we disagree about this and how angry people become and how certain we are that we have all the right answers to this thing. So I just ask the question, when we come to church and we see something like this, you've got to think the things of God, not the things of the world. Where do you get your input from? When you wonder how you think about such brokenness. Do you get it from talk radio? Do you get it from online chats? Do you get it from Colbert or Jon Stewart? I mean, where do, you get, where do you get your way of thinking about things from? I urge us to get it from Jesus And from the word of God that tells us to see people as people and then to enter in and when they're mourning, even if they are irritating people, mourn with them. And enter in and let them know that God loves them with an everlasting love. And show it to them. I'll come back to that. Because remember, there's another side of this that we have to do. We've got to rejoice with those who rejoice, right? And today, if there's ever been a time when we as a church should be rejoicing, today is the day. So I thought, I can't end the sermon with this morning stuff, because what we have been praying for as a church family has happened. I mean, two weeks ago, we couldn't imagine it. Matt and Grace Wong and Emmanuel and Josiah are here. Um, Praise God. I said, I could hardly get up here when I saw them walk into church. I I, I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop weeping. I didn't know if I wanted to weep or dance. I'm a better weeper than I am a dancer. I'll just just tell you that. But I I just remember when, I think it's 2012, when when Matt came through the door and said that he and the family were going to be going uh, over to Qatar because uh, he was going to further his career as an engineer. Uh, in something that's going to lead to the upcoming Olympics, I think in, in, in 2022 in, in Qatar, a great opportunity. He was going to move the whole family there, and, and they were going to. I already mourned a little bit at the loss of this wonderful family because Emmanuel would go through and quote the scripture that I'd preached from and, and do it better than I do. I mean, this, this young man was amazing. So did that. Then, as they were there, just a few months in, do you remember? Early 2013, we began to mourn some as we heard that Gloria was struggling just a bit. And then mourned so much more when we found out that she had died. And then it really changed. I don't quite know how to express it. But if you're like me, you mourned, but it was, it was mixed with rage and certainly a lot of confusion. 
as we found out that they didn't even get to mourn their daughter and they were imprisoned these wonderful wonderful parents and, and falsely accused so now for, for two years this has happened and we have mourned with them as they have mourned haven't we we have wept and prayed and prayed and wept and, and, and we read Jesus saying you know I have come to set prisoners free do it Lord do it we've, we've been praying all these things and I owe me a little faith I didn't think it would happen and today we celebrate because uh, they are here with us. They've been set free from that prison. And, and most of us think, and, and, and I thought this too, now, this Christmas, Matt and Grace and their kids can really live. And there's a measure of truth in that. I mean, they can do some things with these secondary things I've talked about that they could never do if they were in prison. They, they can have family time together. They could worship with us today. They could celebrate in ways... That if they were there under the influence of these injustices and wrongs in our world, that could never happen. Do you see that? And yet my prayer, and I looked at them and I said, my prayer for these two years is that they would find that God is God. He is who he says he is. And, and I'll tell you, God says, this is who I am. I am a refuge and a strength. And a very present help in those times of trouble. So that you don't have to be afraid when you're in trouble, I am with you. That's my prayer for them. And brothers and sisters, you know, in a church like this, I don't even know all the things that you are walking through and the brokenness that you may be feeling. But I pray this for you too. Not even quite knowing what I'm praying about. In, in that lack of knowledge, I pray that in times of difficulty, that you may know that God is a refuge and strength. That when you go through difficulty, He is there. And that he will use you in that time and in that place in ways you never could have imagined. That where God is, there is life. That's what Jesus is saying, right? You find life not in those things, but in me. Because what we need in this broken world is something that cannot be taken away. That, that this world cannot rob us of. That a prison cannot separate us from. Don't we need that? that? That even a death, such as my wife and I experienced with our daughter a number of years ago, and Matt and Grace experienced with Gloria, even death is not the end of things. We need something that cannot be taken. And that's what we find in Christ. And that's why we find our lives in Jesus. Amen. So... I'm going to leave you with one of the greatest passages in the Bible. Uh, I want you to listen to it as you've never heard it before. It, it comes from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. You've got to remember that this is a man who had been in prison many times. He had been stoned. He had been falsely accused. He knows what he's writing about. So let me declare it to you. Listen to it. Receive it. What shall we say? in response to the things that happen to us in this world. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things we need? Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies who then can condemn? 
No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. What a lawyer. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To Him be the glory. Amen. Let's bow our heads in for prayer. Let me lead us in thinking about a few things. First, I want you to think personally. What are those deepest longings? Have they become over longings? Is there something that you've just thought, I've got to have that. I've got to do that in order to be happy. Will you simply turn to to him now, turn to God now and say, this is hard, but I give that to you. If, If you let me continue to have that, I praise you, thank you, but if I take that away, I trust you. I give it to you. Will you tell him that your faith is in Jesus? Then, as I did last week, I want you to think about a person whose life is broken and maybe even from whom you are broken. Will you begin to pray that God would give you his heart, his way of thinking, so that even if that person is irritating, that you will mourn that brokenness and long for the very best for that person and Ask God to give you wisdom to know what next step you should take and the courage to take it. Oh, our Father, uh, there's so many things to pray about. I'm sure some people here don't yet know you as Father. May this be the day that they place their faith in Jesus. Father, help them to know that this isn't just religion. It's real. You are real. You're to be known You love us with an everlasting love. Father, make that so clear to each one who is here that they simply may fall in faith and find life in Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray. And then, Father, we want to be your agents of carrying your love uh, to this broken world. We need your help. So we surrender all. We surrender all to you. Do your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name.